0: The Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. On the Pace Line, we find out if two veterans from two different branches of the military can come together and race as one in the High Rockies.
1: I'd like to think I'm generally pleasant to be around. I know I've had a A couple instances of bonking pretty hard, but I've already warned Juan that he just needs to hand me a gel with the top ripped off, and that should solve all the problems.
2: The most difficulty that I'm going to have is the hike-up bike sections um, because of my prosthetic, Um, being that the the prosthesis that I use for cycling, it's very rigid, um, so that there's no loss of power with each pedal stroke, so it makes it very difficult to walk.
0: Patrick has a new racing tactic, some people call it.
3: Stopping. I talked myself into giving myself permission to stop and enjoy the beauty of the place I was in, and I feel pretty good about that.
4: Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick Hottie and Fatty, bringing you the official podcast of RedKitePrayer.com. Find us on RKP, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We've made it to episode 113. The 13 is not unlucky because there's 100 before it. Patrick, yeah. publisher of RKP, you just got back from Sea Otter. I did. and. Yeah. What made this what made this one special? I'm asking as someone who has never been at all. Oh my gosh!
3: I, you know, it's funny. I was commenting to people how different that event is from the first time I went to it in '97 or '98. You know, the the expo was like all on this paved area, this little paved walkway, and there was even there were like a couple of area wineries giving you know little wine tastings and whatnot. This year, it was more than. 500 different exhibitors, something like 700 different brands there. It was incredible. It was completely overwhelming. I didn't see everything. And part of the reason I ducked out after Friday night was because Saturday is always such a madhouse. I was like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with that. There was also another reason I left, but we'll get to that.
4: All right. All right. We will get to that soon enough. Um, Would you say that the... uh, that sea otter is bigger about the same size smaller than inner bike <laughs> oh man um well i would say it's
3: healthier i don't know about bigger because i don't recall mm. how many exhibitors there were at inner this past year between outdoor demo and the actual show floor but in terms of enthusiasm for the enthusiasm for the event You know, how people believe in the event, believe that it has a future, are excited to be here, be there, you know, speak positively of it. It's a night and day difference. Uh, I read a really, really ugly comment about the Interbike director showing up at someone's booth uh, and a marketing flunky uh, saying, well, I can't find the head of marketing right now. Would you like me to find someone else uh, who can tell you no? Um, And it was just revealed today that he's no longer with uh, Interbike. Hmm. Um, So that was, to me, after having read that one comment, it was kind of an interesting statement about how Interbike is doing. I still believe in that show, but man, oh man, Sea Otter is such a neat event. People definitely should check it out at least once in their life.
4: Oh, I hope to someday. Hadi, RKP RKP contributor, as well as former... Seattle attendee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm wondering, what's your ride like, like right now? You're riding a lot of solo, groups? What's uh, what's the training going on?
0: Uh, lots of bike commuting, as always, um, mm-hmm. but recently got the the urge to jump back in some group riding. We have a ride here that Patrick did for a long time, too, called the Donut Ride. because Not because they pass out donuts, because it actually used to start at a donut shop, and it's about 100 strong, so... Got in there, mixed it up a little bit. Um, a lot of fun, you know. Sometimes you forget how cool it can be to go elbow to elbow with uh, some of your some of your colleagues. So, getting a little group ride in there, and I think I am going to do one again Saturday coming up here. I am a big fan of donut rides. You guys know about, of course,
4: the tour de donut, which I uh, have done pretty well at before. Where he-
3: um, actually, no, really. I don't recall that one.
4: Do a Google search on Lehigh Leipheimer and donuts. And I I think probably you can put Tom Danielson in there as well. But um, uh, see the video and you will know. It's that simple. Uh, Rebecca Rush, Tom Danielson, uh, me, and Patrick, uh, the famous guy from ER. Um, All of us were racing each other for donuts. I, I kid you not. It's worth seeing. It was pretty funny. Oh um, wait,
3: now that does sound familiar.
4: This yes. was right before the Grand Fondo. Um, it, it was a pretty, it was a pretty cool uh, event, and uh, the first time that I could claim being the primary motivator for winning something. But enough of that. Um, I, I would rather talk about, uh, uh-huh. well, a number of other things, but. More than anything, I want to talk about the fact that there is an incredible amount of single track and double track out my front door, and it seems to be growing like weeds. I could put together a 100 mile mountain bike race that never touches the same trail twice without leaving or without driving anywhere, but I'm going to get to that in my paceline pick. We're not going to get to the end of this unless we get rolling hottie. I'm going to go ahead and throw to you. Get, get out in front, get into the headwind that I have created. Mm-hmm. What have you got for us for today's poll?
0: Well, this goes right along with our donut topic, guys, a popular mm-hmm. topic here on The Pace Line. And this time, we head to my bedroom to take on this weighty issue. Hello, Pace Liners, Michael Hotton here. Oh, we're about to do a little weigh-in, a Pace Line weigh-in. I'm about to step on the scale and figure out just where I stand right now weight-wise. You know, we do, a, we do this topic a lot on the paceline. We do it so much. We talk about weight and weight management so much you'd think Jenny Craig would be one of our sponsors, but they're not. So we're gonna talk about weight again, but first a little backstory. In 2011, I got down to my lowest weight ever. I was 150 or even a little below. I saw 148, 149 a couple of times leading into the Leadville Trail 100. I was training very hard for that race. I was getting my weight way down. I wanted to climb like crazy for that race. I mean, 148, 149, 150 at 6 foot one puts me in the same weight classification as a GC contender in the Tour de France. I looked sickly. I looked awful. I was waif. I was I was a skeleton. In fact, there's some pictures of me and some crits. I can't even believe that is me. In fact, I was weak. Um, It was not a good weight to be at for me. In the end, when I went to Leadville, I climbed great, but the bike and the terrain just rattled me all over the place. I was just too light for my size, and I got beat up the entire day. In the end, I ended up with a silver buckle, but I didn't get what I wanted, which was a gold buckle. Two years later, when I went back to Leadville, I raced at about 158, just below 160, I would say. I was in a much better position. I was much stronger. I didn't climb quite as well, but overall my day went better because I was a more stronger human being. I got the gold buckle. I found, I think, what was my perfect climbing, racing weight uh, at the time, which was about just below 160. Now, since then, I've kind of let it go. I don't pay attention to the scale that much anymore. I don't worry too much about weight. I drink a lot more beer. I don't look at food the same way. I try to enjoy myself, and hence, my weight has gone up. Uh, I generally hang out around 167 or so. But a couple of weeks ago, I got on the scale, and I don't get on this thing a lot. I have a Withings, by the way. It's a digital scale. I think Fatty's got the same scale. I don't get on this thing a lot. But a couple of weeks ago, I got on, and for the first time in a long time, I saw over 170. I think it was about 171. Now, I may have been a little bloated that day carrying some water, um, but it was a little alarming, and I thought, hmm, maybe it's time I think about weight a little bit again. Not to the extreme I went to, not to that sub-150 category, but here it is, 2018, and seven years removed from my lowest weight. I'm now some 20 pounds heavier that's quite a bit that's more than a bicycle weighs. so i thought maybe it's time i turned to fatty for a little help because this guy is obsessed right i mean he's he's fatty his name is fatty he he named himself fatty so he would what so he would lose weight so this guy knows more than any of us on the pace line that is about gaining weight and cutting it back but for now what we need to do is a little weigh in let's see where hottie is right now and see if he really needs to lose anything now i just did a ride so i might be a little dehydrated i did chug a bottle of water when i got home and i've had two pieces of toast with some peanut butter um but i was on a about a 40 mile ride with some climbing so and it's, it's warm out so i did sweat some so let's i'm going to jump on the scale right now and we're going to see where i stand Let's see if i'm still 170 or if i've Gone. I did I did ride yesterday, too, so I, th- I think I should be down. So here we go on the scale. Oh, no, yeah, I, I'm down from that 170, but I'm right about where I normally have been the last, gee, couple years, just below 167. So let's, um, for accuracy's sakes, we're going to take a picture of this so you all <laughs> know that I'm not, let's see, we're going to focus in. Now my scale is (laughs) moved off the weight, but there's a little picture of that. Okay, so about, what did I say? It's already moved off the the digital readout here, and now it's onto my heartbeat. These withings, they'll, they'll give you all kinds of readouts and stuff, but 166 isn't too bad. Again, as Crusher gets closer, I'd love to get closer to 160. So Fatty and Patrick, either of you, if you've got a couple of quick tips to get the weight down without ruining life, you know? I still want to have the beer or two after a long day in the saddle. But if you've got anything else, the hope kept me there. I'm all ears, guys. And Fatty, before you answer, it should be noted that I've been lifting weights, so there may be a little a lean mass in play here, but I know there is room for improvement. Okay, Fatty, what you got?
4: Uh, well, my, my first uh, question is, did you record that segment naked? Because I always weigh <laughs> anyway myself completely nude. Uh, and so I'm just well, a little bit weirded out. <laughs> well, I mean <laughs> by this entire <laughs> part. Of if this if you episode. truly
0: want to track weight, you have to you have to have what? A a common denominator, right? I mean, That's right. common denominator would be nude, naked. Mm-hmm. Because if okay. you put have a pair of jeans on one day and then a pair of shorts the next, then you're going to throw sure. things off. So I guess that's, that's a roundabout the round. way of saying yes. <laughs> okay, good
4: so, to know. So this is uh, so I, I'm I'm assuming then the weight and what got in the frame of this photo,
0: you were careful <laughs> with, right? Especially since the withing scale is uh, glass and it reflects. Yes, you got to be careful how you right.
4: Uh, okay, but that uh, – enough of that. Uh, Hi, folks. Uh, this is our revelations episode. <laughs> astonishingly weird and awkward question that I asked. Apologies for that. So here's my, here's my probably best, most useful uh, thing that I, I know does make a difference. I don't lose weight unless I'm weighing myself every day. I, I, if I don't track it, it doesn't happen. Uh, the Withings does a nice job of keeping track for you. You know, you set up the Wi-Fi and and so forth. So you're you're nine tenths of the way there. All you have to do is get on. Also, weighing myself every day has a has a secondary benefit of making me know that I have to get on that scale tomorrow. So what I eat today is you know I I can't make excuses for it as easily. Um, from uh, the other thing that always makes a big difference for me is making my carbs count, which is to say, if I am not going to be putting in a big effort, uh, or if I'm not in the middle of a big effort, then I should keep my carbs way low and keep my fat and my protein relatively high. I would say those are the two things that work consistently for me Mm -hmm. that said, uh, it, I, what I think might be interesting is uh, if you and you and I should really wind up at the crusher at the same weight. Um, <laughs> you know, even though I'm five seven uh, and you are what 6'1", yeah, six one. That six, you know, that half a foot difference. My my good weight, one hundred and sixty, sounds like it's about your good weight as well. Mm-hmm. So, I and mean, it's kind of interesting that, in spite of that, uh, you know, that height difference, that our good racing weight is more or less the same. Mm-hmm. So, um, I I should, I, I, and I'll finish it with this. I'm thinking of starting a new uh, weight loss uh, self humiliation contest <laughs> because I gotta do something. Uh, I weighed myself today, uh, not knowing that you were going to be talking about that on this episode of the podcast, and I'm at 172. Okay. So I am heavier than you right now. Part of that has to do with I, this year I, I haven't cared as much, but ugh, it's uh, it, there's some point where you have to start caring, mm-hmm. and I think I am at that point. If I don't start getting rid of some of this excess blubber right now, uh, I am not going to race well at the Crusher, at epic or at Leadville and I do care about all three of those races
0: right um well you're right when I did achieve that terribly awfully low weight ridiculously low weight I was weighing myself nearly every day first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. and it was and, and it kicked off the whole day because you look at it and you go either it motivates you to keep going down or it warns you that you've you've tripped up along the way And I just tick off a pound one after another until it hardly I couldn't go down anymore. Which was was just stupid. Um, Last week, uh, Patrick, we talked about how our riding has changed, and I talked a lot about creating memories and uh, looking for rides that do that. And um, part of creating memories after I ride is drinking beer. (laughs) What about the beer, (laughs) Patrick? Patrick, do I have to get rid of the beer?
3: Okay, so I had a conversation with Celine Yeager a few weeks ago and I'm still trying to finish editing that uh, that interview for uh, a whole tandem episode. But one of the things that she said from her her kind of personal anecdotal research and what also she has read elsewhere is that, uh, the high alcohol brews do seem to have a greater penalty uh, than if you drink a obviously more traditional beer or a glass of wine. Um, so, yeah, if you're having Pliny the Elder at, you know, 9%, um, you might want to have, you know, one and a half of those and not two. Sure. So, I I, you know, what I've tried to do here and there is. Um if I'm not in the mood for wine and I'm you know I'm at something and want to have uh want to enjoy myself and I'm trying to not go too stupid with the alcohol I'll do a cider.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Low that's low alcohol content so i don't drink many ciders so. low lower lower i mean <laughs> let's low. let's yeah. let's
3: be careful there <laughs> you know we're talking um six percent not eight and a half or nine right. like you get with some double ipas yeah.
0: hmm. and my downfall are the belgian ales i mean i just love those things so and they can you know there's a reason <laughs> yeah. why they come in tulips and not in pint glasses because they're a little boozier all right, Fatty, I, I think I've got a, a little goal set, though. So you and I are going to see each other uh, both in the Tusher Mountains and on a scale sometime, clothed.
4: All right, so. all right. We will uh, We will keep track of each other. I And that's another thing that does help is having someone who not necessarily that you're competing against, but someone who you are accountable to. So, yeah let's work together let's both uh, look for 160 by the time we race mm-hmm. crusher all right all right that's not not a half bad goal and a good guy to uh, work on that with go ahead and drop back and I will go ahead and pull forward my me and my broad 172 pounds self and it's going to be my turn and I want to talk a little bit about my latest obsession I've already mentioned it once during this podcast it is the Breck epic. It's not my only race this year, but it is definitely the one that I am focused on. Six days of mountain bike stage racing on high Colorado mountain single track, all while being able to stay in the same hotel every night so you don't have to pack and then pack back up and then unpack. You get up, you race, you come back, you relax in the beautiful ski town of Breckenridge. It is no wonder that people are calling Mike McCormack's invention they're a race of the year. It's certainly mine. A couple of days ago, I had a great conversation with a couple of the contestants, Juan Carlos Hernandez and Rebecca Gross, both of who have raced the Breck Epic before and both of who are coming back to the Breck Epic this year. They will be racing with U.S. Military Endurance Sports. It's a great organization with a great charter. They are racing together, co-ed duo. Which means they're going to be competing with my wife and me, even though these two have never raced together before. Six days of racing together, never raced together before. Should be interesting. So a little bit about them, and then I've got a great little conversation with them. Juan Carlos Hernandez is a veteran of the U.S. Army who had his leg amputated after being injured in Afghanistan in 2009, and he is a guy who has not allowed his injury to define him. Rebecca is a full-time professional mountain bike and cyclocross racer, as well as an eight-year veteran of the U.S. Air Force. Rebecca, tell me a little bit about your time in the military.
1: Um, so I uh, went to college first and then got in as an officer uh, training to be an, um, a controller on the airborne warning and control platform uh, known as AWACS, uh, mm-hmm. where we would fly out and join the aircraft um, over the— Uh, battlefield, to kind of give them a God's eye view of what was going on around them. And I did that for eight years uh, before separating and moving to Colorado. And during that time, I also raced bikes. And then once I exited, um, it was kind of an opportunity to pursue grad school and then uh, focus on full-time racing. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, basically what I've been doing since I got out.
4: Same questions for you, Juan. What did you do in the army, and what have you been doing since?
2: Yeah, so I uh, so I served in the army for five years and eleven months. Um, I was a Chinook helicopter crew member slash gunner, and after I was injured in two thousand and nine, I I did rehabilitation for about two years, and my uh, until I was medically retired in uh, two thousand eleven. But I started cycling as a therapy in two thousand and ten, and after I saw what it did for me physically and mentally, um, I just fell in love with it. And I've been riding my bike since 2010.
4: Let's be a little more specific about the kind of therapy because you lost a leg in
2: the Army, right? Right, yeah. So um, my Chinook helicopter was shot down with uh, an RPG um, during one of our nighttime missions. And um, the sharp knoll from the uh, explosion and from the aircraft pretty much took out most of my right leg uh, below the ankle. So they could not save it. Um, they had to amputate. So about three to four months later, I, I started doing my rehabilitation and I couldn't do anything really. I couldn't run, I could barely walk. So I started doing the uh, stationary bike as just for cardio and to get a little bit of uh, movement, some movement in my body. Um, I really enjoyed it and a few months later, one of my therapists recommended that I go ride a bike outside with a, a group from the hospital that has bikes that they loan to uh, the, the Wounded Warriors are, re, are rehabilitating. And I, I said yes. So I went out. I, I borrowed a bike. I had never ridden a bike before, not since I was maybe 9 or 10. Hmm. Um, so it was a learning experience um, to, to ride a bike again uh, with the prosthetic.
4: And now the two of you are going to be writing for USMES.
1: So uh, USMES is the U.S. Military Endurance Sports Program, and um, they're a nonprofit that's geared towards uh, encouraging fitness in active duty and veterans um, from all branches of the military. And uh, <clears throat> the goal is to encourage fitness for life, and generally that's done by um, encouraging com- competition.
4: And you two are both racing for USMES as a co-ed duo team at the Breck Epic this year. Juan, tell me a little bit about your experience in the Breck Epic, because you have done this before.
2: Yes, yeah, so I, um, I did the Breck Epic in 2016, um, solo, um, open category man. Um, I, I had no expe- expectations going in, into the event. I, I was, I was just doing it for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I had done Leadville a couple times, a few times before, and I wanted to do something different. So, um, and I love being in Colorado. I just love the atmosphere, the writing, the people. So I try to take a trip out to Colorado at least, um, every summer. So I, Breck Epic was on my radar. And when I found out about it, that I could make it, I, I signed up for it and, I went out and I did it, and I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Yeah, I mean, it's
4: an amazing six days of racing. I've done it as part of a co-ed duo team, which is how you guys are doing it this year. And I I should say that my wife and I will be competing against the two of you this year. So looking forward (laughs) to seeing you guys on the trail, or at least at the starting line. And, you know, hopefully you'll hang out and, you know, give us a high five at the finish line as well. But, (laughs) Rebecca, you have done this race twice before as part of a women's duo team as well as a co-ed duo team. How have you done at this race?
1: Um The first year I did it with my housemate and he's a former pro road racer, so I pretty much was going as hard as I possibly could. <laughs> and it hurt a lot and was a lot less fun. Um But we did well. Um, and then the second year I did it with um, a friend that I raced cyclocross with and we we're pretty evenly matched and it was really really cool to see how we complemented each other. She was very strong in the open sections and I was strong on the on the single track and the trails and we kind of motivated each other. So um we did well that year as um also and um took the top step.
4: And yeah, when you say you did well, you you actually won in, in both categories each time you've raced. So a force to be contended with for sure. This is going to be the first time that the two of you have raced together, and it's for six days of racing.
1: I think as long as we have common goals and uh, solid communication, which is pretty much you know key to any relationship, um, you know, and, and we keep it light, and um, it'll be it'll be fun no matter what. I'd like to think I'm you know, generally pleasant to be around. I know I've had a, a couple instances of bonking pretty hard, but I've already warned Juan that he just needs to hand me a gel with the top ripped off and that should solve all the problems.
4: (laughs) How about you, Juan? What's, what have you been telling Rebecca about, uh, what she needs to do to work with you?
2: Um, I, I think that the most difficult difficulty that I'm going to have is the hike up bike sections, um, because of my prosthetic, Mm. um, being that the, the prosthesis that I use for cycling, it's very rigid. Um, so that there's no loss of power with each pedal stroke. So it makes it very difficult to walk, especially on uneven terrain. Um, so I, as long as she just you know, remains cool and keeps encouraging me to continue driving forward, um, I will be doing just that. <laughs> are
4: there sections that either of you remember from your previous editions of this race that you are most looking forward to and or most nervous about
1: i love just everything that's up high um i i really enjoy being at elevation mm-hmm. um and the single track and the views that are amazing and it just makes the whole experience really enjoyable but i do know that like Juan, the hike a bike kind of gets to me so um being that i've done this two years in a row in both days or both years that's the spot that got me <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna maybe come up with a better game plan to keep food going down the hatch
4: I, and I, I got to say, I'm looking forward to racing you two. Uh, best of luck, but, you know, we're going to try to beat you. <laughs> that's
2: the oh, way that's, races should motiv- be, right? There's some motivation to uh, continue training and maybe pick up the pace a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll right. be coming from uh, sea level in Southern California, but I'm hoping that I can spend at least two, maybe three weeks at uh, altitude before going to... Uh, Breckenridge so we'll see how that goes.
4: <laughs> I, I do hope that you have time to uh come to Breckenridge and just ride the trails for a couple of weeks and you know, get to enjoy uh the town. That is it, it is a just a great town. I know that uh after we raced it uh the one time we did a, a few years ago, we left with, you know, a big stack of the real estate brochures going. We got <laughs> to find a way the fact that all three of us and have been there before, and are excited about doing it again. It Says good things about this race, so we'll see you there. Uh, good luck, you guys.
1: Thanks for having Thank us. You.
2: Good luck to you too.
4: So that's Juan Carlos Hernandez and Rebecca Gross, two very cool racers, both who have uh, served our country. Uh, you know, giving a lot. In uh, in Juan's case, giving an awful lot. And I have raced uh, against—not, uh, I mean, not like he and I were head to head or anything, or you know, trying to defeat each other. But he and I have been at a couple of races before. I've seen him at the Crusher. I've seen him at Leadville, and he is legit uh, fast enough that his prosthetic is really just sort of a interesting side note. He—it um, he, uh, it, it really hadn't even occurred to me of how difficult. The hike bike sections are going to be when he's wearing a, 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 his a, his prosthetic that is specifically designed to not flex and let him you know put a lot of power into his pedals. So that said, you know, all, all, amazingness of these two competitors aside, Hottie are these two guys nuts? Are these two people nuts racing with someone they have never raced with or ridden with before for six days straight?
0: No, no. They have a common bond here, and that's the U.S. military. So they, mm-hmm. they both look in each other's eyes and they have this immediate understanding. It's like two cops who run into each other. They're from different cities, right? Hi, I'm with, yep. uh, I'm with Seattle PD. Oh, hi, I'm with Denver PD. But immediately they have a connection. Fire personnel the same way. So they are immediately connected. Second of all, they've both been through boot camp training. Um, They've both defended the country. So they have all these commonalities that are just going to pull them together. The only thing that, I mean, some people might nitpick and go, well, she's in the Air Force and he's in the Army, and Air Force and Army don't get along. Boo, boo, I say. That's nothing. The only thing that will be interesting to see how it plays out for them is who will be the A, who will be the B? Who will take the leadership role? And who will be the follower? Hmm. An interesting question,
4: I and one I did not ask, and I honestly have no idea. I bet that uh, with a race this big, on different days, it's going to be different ones. Uh, the that's the thing about uh, Breck is, it is not a race where you are doing six days of the same kind of racing. There is some stuff that is incredibly technical and hard climbing. There is some stuff that is just a grind of a climb. Mm-hmm. There is some amazing downhill. Uh, it is. It, it's a, a it's a race that is going to show you what you're good at and what you are not good at. I'm guessing uh, everyone takes a turn at being good and bad at something. <laughs> uh, so how about you, Patrick? Have you ever raced a uh, duo? Uh,
3: I've done a number of team time trials, but I mm-hmm. can't... Oh, I once did a two-man time trial, but it was flat. It was on a criterium course, but... Yeah, that's not really been something I've done, but I'd really be open to it. Um, I've raced a tandem, but that's clearly not the same thing.
4: Yeah, it's way different, but uh, maybe a little bit of a similar dynamic there. Well, I will tell you guys, uh, it is a little bit weird for me to be rooting for someone who I will be racing against. (laughs) But, (laughs) But I am... To a degree, uh, of course, uh, it's all game phase once we get to the starting line. Uh, but I am excited to uh, hear their stories uh, at the, uh, you know, at the finish line, at the start lines, at the at podium uh, events that they have every night. It's kind of one of the things that makes uh, this race great. You know, you, you go at it hard, and then you talk about the adventure that you had that day, and rinse and repeat six times. All right, Patrick, I'm going to drop back. Come on up front take a poll
3: all righty fellas so (sighs) boy where to start for the third year in a row i've done two days of sea otter and then raced home on friday night not literally mind you so i could do the grasshopper the next day first year i did this it was uh i did following the inaugural e-mountain bike race at sea otter before driving home in sweaty kit Not quite, but yeah, I cleaned up in the parking lot, then drove home. The next day that year, the hopper on deck was super sweet water. And I got to the foot of the third big climb of the day and turned left and cut off, I don't know, 25 miles or so, and just headed back to Occidental. I was absolutely fried. As a matter of fact, I remember looking at uh, Fort Ross just sitting there at the base of it, looking at it, and just shaking my head like I couldn't even believe that a body would be able to do that. Uh, the next year, last year, I got smart uh, and I didn't do the e-mountain bike race on Friday at Seattle. Otter. Uh, I was way too smart for that. <laughs> Never mind the fact that I just spent two days in the sun and on my feet. So what happened? I flamed out like a college student, introduced Pink Floyd and bongs. I ended up writing a post uh, titled a smarter man in which I made the assertion that anyone smarter than me, which I consider to be quite a few people, uh, Hmm. would not have shown up at the race because they'd been traveling and outside and in the sun and on their feet, which I had been. So what do I do this year? Same damn thing. Traveled for the entire week before the show, got less than stellar sleep and then did the race. This one was the Lake Sonoma Hopper, which is a 25-mile mountain bike race with uh, about six feet of flat terrain in the whole course. Um, You climb more than 5,000 feet. That's more than 200 feet per mile. Uh, Just a crazy amount of of climbing. And there are, I believe, six or seven different pitches that are upwards of 20% and two different pitches that are north of 30%. So it's a really, really tough course. Um, I, did, I did better than last year. I can at least say that. I was about 20 minutes faster. But 20 minutes faster over four hours, you know, it's still kind of slow, especially when the winner, um, an acquaintance of mine, did it in two hours and 10 minutes. So here's the thing. My question for you, Jance, is when you know you're not going to be at your best, do you simply dial your expectations down, set entirely different goals, pull out of the event, or do something else entirely? Hadi, I know you've had good years and bad years at Leadville. How do you decide what sort of day you're having and what sort of effect that has on your mentality if you're aware that you're not going to be your more traditional, in my view, uh awesomeness
0: yeah the my bad day at Leadville um I think that kind of snuck up on me I was at least uh under the assumption I was gonna do fine there that day um but quickly found out it was going it was going sideways and made a decision just to not finish the ride or the race at that point um in a situation closer to yours actually I've I've been through a couple of those spots you've been in uh we were at winter press camp you and I in fact and yep. I bolted out of Winter Press Camp and headed straight for Sonoma County and hopped in a, in a grasshopper event, Old Casadero, in fact, and had a really good day. Now, I had prioritized Old Caz over Winter Press Camp. I said bye to Winter Press Camp like a day earlier or something like that, got in my car, left, got to my sister's house, got off my feet, rested, and the next morning was great. Uh, the day you had problems at Super Seat Water, you and I were together, actually, the day before, I think, at Sea Otter. And yep. hmm. I, I remember that day, because I didn't see you at the finish line. I barely made it myself, only because I snapped the shift cable going up one of the final climbs. But I remember that day being particular. I mean, Lawrence Dam was in the race, too, which meant the pace <laughs> went out pretty darn hard. I remember struggling that day, too, because you and I, we'd been on our feet down on the Monterey Peninsula for three days straight or what have you. So you just have to know going in, look, this is not going to be the day. It's it's impossible to to work and network and be on your feet and test ride bikes and then write and post and make a, a four-hour drive home and then expect to be have your A-game on. You just got to settle in and go, I'm going to find my group. I'm going to ride with the people I'm with. I am where I am, as they say, and be happy with that
3: yeah yeah i can certainly appreciate that sitting here right now at my desk uh the problem is when i'm dressed up in kit and have a bike in front of me and i'm you know someplace cool (laughs) uh i i'm still not getting this right fatty i you know i know from your stories you've had some races get sideways because i've laughed at them uh not at you um but how about you How do you decide when it's appropriate to soldier on versus pulling out?
4: So this is something that I believe I am actually expert on. And my answer is easy. It's always appropriate to soldier on because it gives you a great setup for the story that is going to unfold no matter how it unfolds, right? Yep. If you're you're having a bad day, great. You've got a bad omen story all set up. You're having an okay day. You've got a steely eyed, square jawed, never say die story. Have a great day. And you've got yourself a you never know story. I've had all of those happen to me. And frankly, I'm kind of a fan of the bad day stories. (laughs) It's not like I try to ever have them. But the fact is, you know, I start writing them while I'm having that bad day. I'm (laughs) writing myself as having this. Uh, you know, being the grim, determined hero facing down impossible odds. And I mean, it sounds super vain as I say it, but you know, hey, that's me. <laughs> and what I'm not <laughs> a huge fan of is when people tell me they're having a bad day before the race, unless they have a genuinely interesting story of how bad it is. Like, you know, if you're having, if you're racing for the first time since you finished chemo, hell yes, tell me that story at the finish line. If you were racing the day after getting back from Hawaii or a hem a bike event, I wish I could attend. You are going to get very little sympathy from me. <laughs> so, don't complain before the race unless you got something really great to tell. And don't complain during the race because the humble brag thing is super painful for people like me because I don't want to hear from people who pass me and as they're passing me, tell me how bad they are feeling. Oh, yeah. My ego (laughs) simply cannot take it. Oh, that has happened so many times. Oh, I I, I have a particularly vivid memory of – I forget her name, but she uh, was in a honey stinger kit, uh, and it was at Leadville, and I was having the fastest day of my life. For the first time ever that year, I would wind up finishing under nine hours at Leadville, and I was in heaven because I was in the final 20 miles – and I had known I, – I, uh, I had seen this woman several times. She and I had passed each other numerous times to the point where as, uh, as she passed me in this final 20-mile stretch, I said, you know, go Honey Stinger. And, you know, hey, I love your waffles or something like that. You know, it's because, you know, I'm a big fan of some of their products. And she turned around and proceeded to tell me about what a terrible day she's having. And I'm like, I'm having the best day of my life. <laughs> so please <laughs> please don't bring me back down to earth okay i'm just super happy that i'm where i am when you know at this moment so uh, that has nothing to do with what you said patrick but i say unless you can't ride do ride because the getting through it stories is are fantastic it, it's kind of like what uh hottie was saying uh last episode in fact uh, race for stories, not for glory. I, uh, that's my new mantra. Cause honestly, that's the truth for those of us who are in our fifties. That's what we're riding for. Are we riding for the stories?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I, you know, the funny thing for me was late in the race, hadn't gotten to the final big fire road climb. That was just flipping brutal, but I got through this grove of Oak trees Came around this bin and suddenly there before me is this, I won't say it was a whole meadow of California poppies, but it was a big spread of meadows, you know, in this, uh, on this hillside and, you know, California, pop- California poppies have this really, to me, just lovely yellow, orange color to them. Mm. They are absolutely my favorite flower and just it's the perfect time of year here in Northern California to see them. They're in full bloom and there were just scads of them. And I thought about it and I looked and I said, you know, I'm pulling over. I'm going to take a picture and then I'm going to stand here and wait until somebody else comes through so I can take a picture of them passing through the flowers. And I was like, I just don't even care what that does to my finishing time. And yeah, two yeah. people got by me, you know, taking pictures. It was cool. I, I, I know I passed somebody else late in the race. I don't recall if it was them or not, but, you know, it just, it was one of those things where I talked myself into giving myself permission to stop and enjoy the beauty of the place I was in.
4: And I feel pretty good about that. Heck yeah. and I think there's real wisdom in there. If you are in a, in contention for a podium spot, you know, don't pull over, don't take any pictures. Chase that podium like there's no tomorrow. If like yourself, you know it's a difference between 37th and 39th place. So what? Take the picture. You're there for memories at this point. Get that shot. Um, There, I have way fewer photos than I wish that than I wish I have because in the moment I thought that the race, you know, the the seconds count. When, in fact, you know, now it's uh, for, for most of my races, it's the memories that matter. So, you know, some wisdom from old guys on rocking chairs. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners. <laughs> All right. Tell you what, I think that is uh, that is a wrap for our polls. Let's move on to our picks. And I'm going to go ahead and kick off. And my pick is my own personal outrageous good fortune. I have been thinking about this a lot over the last few years but this last weekend it kind of drove it home extra hard. On Saturday I did a road ride up a mountainous canyon on excellent pavement for a 15 mile sparsely driven climb to an 8,000 foot high mountain pass summit. On Sunday I rode a giant mountain bike loop with my pick of single track as much as I could stand, more than I could ride. I didn't touch a single part of any single trail twice, and 90% of the trail was less than a year old. But here's where the pick comes in. For neither the road nor the mountain bike ride did I have to load up a bike. I did all of this from riding out my front door. The cherry on top of this pick is the company I work for, which is Adobe. It's paying to put in several more miles of single track that connect the business park where I work to this amazing single track network, uh, Corner Canyon and Lambert Park. By autumn, I'm going to be able to commute to work by single track. Where I live, where I work, where I ride, it has all come together in the last couple of years for some amazing good fortune. I had very little to do with it, and so I'm just going to appreciate it. That's my pick. Patrick, next pick Next pick is yours.
3: Okay, fellas. So when I was at Sea Otter, I saw a number of new products, um, lots of tires, all sorts of stuff. There was one thing that really caught my eye, and it's the first time I can ever recall being at Sea Otter and seeing something and looking at it and going, that is absolutely the best thing I'm going to see here. And it's one of the coolest of things I've ever encountered, you know, in terms of a product introduction. It's called Milkit, and the company is Swiss, uh, out of Zurich, uh, which kind of fits in, intensely logical. Um, they've figured out a seamless set of tools to deal with tubeless tires and sealant. First, they have special syringes for injecting the sealant into the tire. They also have special removable, uh, removable core valve stems that have a rubber seal at the bottom of the valve stem, so that they can't get spooged up with sealant. And by the way, spooged is a technical term. <laughs> In addition to that, they've also devised a charge can to seat tubeless tires that is super straightforward. And because it doesn't involve a long hose to compress the air that you know all the all the volume of air needs to pass through. Uh, It just all gets funneled into um, a fitting that fits over a a Presta valve. Um, The air goes in super fast. And I was amazed at how little volume of air was required to be able to seat um, a full-size 29er mountain bike tire. Just absolutely floored by the whole thing. And they're also uh, sealant agnostic. They don't have their own sealant. They don't care whose sealant you use. Hmm. Um, It was... Just absolutely unbelievable how good this stuff is. Um, again, it's called Milk it, and uh, there will be a link in our show notes.
4: All right. Always looking for something uh, to make the tubeless scenario and setup a little bit easier. I'm looking forward to trying that. Hottie, you've got the final pick of the paceline.
0: All right, fellas. I thought I was done with rim brake wheels when I grabbed a set of Roval Carbons off Mrs. Hottie's bike. I thought those were my last. She had moved on to a disc, brake, a disc brake road bike. We sold her rim brake bike with a set of serums I had lying around. And I took those Rovals and put them on my time. My backup set of wheels were my trusted head C2 Belgiums with DT Swiss 240s. 2428 custom build, by the way. So I had two sets of wheels. And mostly I rode the heads. Yes, I had the carbons, but I preferred to ride an aluminum rim on most rides i just prefer that braking surface those heads though had really been through a lot two grasshoppers with offered uh sections two belgian waffle rides trips down dirt mulholland countless training rides whenever i saw a dirt path or shoulder i rambled through that stuff on those heads there were broken spokes plenty of truings but eventually that rear wheel just would true no more a couple of spokes were <laughs> tightened all the way just had nothing left And the wheels in general just didn't feel safe. The last ride I did on them, I was like, that is it. It is time for a new set of rim brake wheels. Just what I thought I didn't need. In typical hottie fashion, I shopped around, compared and contrasted, asked builders a bunch of questions, and decided on nothing. You know, I have that problem with indecision. I am deliberate (laughs) like my dad. I started complaining about my wheel mental block to Elon Rubin, owner of Giant Santa Monica. You remember Elon? He had that great story about racing in Israel. He suggested a set of similar wheels to the ones I had already worn out the newer Head Belgium Plus, but this time laced to Chris King Hubs. In a moment of clarity, I said, Yes, let's do that. And a couple of days later, they were on my independent fabrication crown jewel. Now I have just three rides on these wheels, and look, I knew the rims would be good, but I had no idea how much I would love these hubs. There are two things of note with the R45 Chris King hub, the engagement and the rollout. The rear hub comes with standard 45 points of engagement. You hardly begin to stomp on the pedals when you feel that rear hub lock in. But more impressive is the roll and the feel. These hubs just seem to coast forever. They even outdo my old faves for rollout shimano's cup and cone durace hub the kings just feel and roll better and this must be due to their unique machining that uses tools of equal wear to ensure perfectly match inner and outer races of course king offers all kinds of colors with their hubs drillings ceramic bearing upgrade i didn't do that they are serviceable and they make this really cool sound Put them on some carbon rims, and you get even more resonance from that rear hub. But I'm perfectly happy having them on my head, Belgium Plus rims, and happy to call the Chris King R45 hub my paceline pick. By the way, guys, uh, Chris King sells the complete wheels now. Mine came with Sapem CX-Ray spokes and prepared for tubeless. Ah,
4: I love the angry bee sound of a good Chris King hub. Yeah. There's really nothing quite like it. I think that is a wrap for episode 113. One last reminder, find us on Apple Podcasts, take a moment to give us a five-star rating, and if you so choose, write us a review too. For Hadi and Patrick, I'm Fatty. Thanks for listening to episode 113 of The Pace Lot. This is mine, baby. There you go. How do you like
0: me now? Very nice.